I'm Ray Rogers. And I'm Brad Kepler. You're listening to Fix This, a podcast exploring tech ideas and solutions to some of today's largest challenges. People around the world rely on goods produced by farmers in India. Indian farmers grow and produce milk, jute, rice, wheat, sugarcane, vegetables, fruit, cotton, spices, and more. We set out to understand how technology can provide one possible solution to improve earnings for farmers across India. Ashish Anand is CEO and founder of World, a fintech platform helping farmers with timely credit and post-harvest agriculture supply chain, all using blockchain and the cloud. World is a fintech platform for farmers in India, wherein we are helping the farmers to get finances for what is known as post-harvest finance, means after the crop has been harvested. Typically, farmers have faced a lot of challenges in getting better prices, as well as getting better financing post-harvest. Also, we are helping banks to better their processes uh, around what is known as warehouse receipt finance which is a tool used by the farmers to have liquidity in hand when they are not selling their crop and rather they store it in the warehouse in the hope that the prices will rise at a later stage. We have touched the lives of more than 3,000 farmers directly and indirectly by lending to farmers or through to the farmers' cooperatives. Can you tell us a little bit more about the state of agriculture in India today? Agriculture has been a mainstay for most of the Indians, rather directly or indirectly around 50% of Indians are dependent upon agriculture. We are talking about uh, more than half a billion people. Part of GDP that comes from agriculture is actually 15% and that's quite huge. That's still a $400 billion market. Land holding will be less than two acres uh, for 85% of the farmers in India. And that means that the farmers in India don't have too much of money coming from the produce that they produce in their fields. Yeah. So the idea is that the harvest time is similar for all farmers, whether they have a small farm that's less than two acres or a larger farm. So the market is flooded with produce, with grains and all different kinds of crops at once. And at that time, farmers wouldn't be able to fetch a high price for their output. That is very much uh, right. When these crops come to the market, what happens at that point of time that uh, in local areas, the prices will fall down and they will fall quite sharply. Even this crop cycle in October, November, we saw that prices were around 30% below what the price when the government provides to the farm. So that's, that's a major challenge. Yes. And so now going back to what World does, can you tell me a little bit about where the warehouses come into effect and how are these loans working for the farmers? How is it helping the farmers take advantage of the timing and of the supply and demand fluctuations? As we talked about that Indian farmers don't have much of our land holding, that means their income is also low from the farming. Now, what happens that if the prices are lower and if the farmers decide to sell at that point of time, uh, their income will certainly be lower, means they will be having lower realization for their crop. What anybody will do at that point of time, they would say that it would be better if I don't sell it now and better store it. The problem is that if a farmer decides to store that, then he doesn't have money. He doesn't have money for his next crop cycle. He can't buy the inputs, he can't buy seeds, fertilizers, etc. He can't hire laborers. When the farmers decide not to sell, the option for them is to deposit it in a warehouse. When they deposit in a warehouse, then they have liquidity crunch. And that is where world comes in. We allow the farmers to take a 70% of the crop value as loan amount. 
And that loan amount helps them in achieving two objectives. First, they don't have to sell the crop. And secondly, they have liquidity in hand through the loan which we have provided. That way, they have best of both worlds and they can decide to sell the crop which they have stored in the warehouse at the right point of time. And that way, they will be able to get better realization. And we will collect the loan proceeds only when the farmer has decided to sell the commodity. So it sounds so simple when we just describe it that way, but there's a lot of technology behind this. How is your platform powered? How is it working? How are the farmers interacting with it? Tell us a little bit about the technology behind what you're doing. We have brought the world's cutting-edge technology of blockchain and cloud solutions. Blockchain is a platform which removes intermediary. People transact between themselves. Through the blockchain, without any third party, we have connected the banks and the warehouses and the farmers together. We have created a unified platform where we have 1,400 warehouses today. We have lenders, the banks on the platform. In India, most of the farmers have a smartphone in the household. So these farmers have access to the platform through the mobile app. The farmers use the mobile app to find a warehouse nearby. They also use the mobile app to book a slot in the warehouse. They bring their commodities to the warehouse. The warehouse, which is again on our electronic blockchain platform, it generates an electronic warehouse receipt. This is a document that the farmer has deposited XYZ quality of ABC quantity of the crop in the warehouse, which they use to apply for loan. We have created a platform where the farmers can sell these commodities stored in the warehouses online to other buyers. And the buyers can repay the loan to the bank as well as the buyers will pay the farmer the balance amount. It helps the farmer that they don't have to arrange for money to repay the loan they have taken. Warehouse receipt finance in India actually helps increase farmers' income by around 25 to 40%. How is the cloud helping to power the platform and helping you to achieve your mission? Cloud helps us to serve the on-demand requirement of resources. And secondly, not worry about where our customers and where our partners are located. Ashish, what's your ultimate hope for the future? How do you think we can create a more equitable environment for farmers who are doing really critical work using technology? In emerging markets, and I would say in Asia, individual farm holdings have gone really below economic farm holding levels. And as a result, the yields are lower, as well as the income of the people dependent upon agriculture are lower. We need to increase yield per hectare of land. Secondly, we help provide market access so that they don't have to go through the channel of intermediaries in the supply chain. And thirdly, what we also need to ensure that along with the market linkage, we are able to get them the right price for their produce. So these are the things which uh, where the farmers need help to help their increase their income. And that is where a lot of agri-tech is coming up. Now there are startups uh, who are helping farmers in the post-harvest segment by helping them create market linkage. And that is where world also comes into play, where we are facilitating finance at these market linkage places. And finally, we help the farmers to defer their sale decision and we help them sell online so that they get the best prices available in the market. Technology is going to play the biggest role in changing the lives of the farmers. Being able to check your bank account in an app or popping by the local branch to inquire about a loan is something that many of us have just kind of come to see as a norm. But for much of the world's population, 
basic banking opportunities are simply not available. And being excluded from basic financial needs has negative consequences at the individual and community level. We chatted with Matthew Davey, Chief Strategy Officer of Kiva, an organization that's building towards a financially inclusive world. We wanted to learn more about how the organizations work with microloans and their ambitious AWS Imagine Grant project can build a more equitable future for all. Here's Matthew and Ray. I was really drawn to Kiva by the opportunity to take what I've done with my career, which has always been in technology and really emerging technology, and take that to something that was gonna have direct social impact. You know, I think one of the things that drew me to technology immediately when I was out of school was the fast pace and the ability to try to make the world a better place. And I think Kiva was and is a very unique opportunity to take that technology and not talk about doing good, but actually see the good it's doing in the world, directly take it to those who have no access at all. Kiva's slogan, if you visit the site, is make a loan, change a life. What does expanding financial access for underserved communities mean? And I love this idea of seeing the technology in action, so actually seeing tangible change. So let's just imagine life is unbanked. You're operating only in cash. You're probably making $10 a day or less. It's really expensive to operate in cash, and it's really insecure. How do you do long-term savings? Do you put cash in a box under your bed? A lot of people will find a friend and actually when they come across a couple of dollars, will give it to a friend and say, hold this for me because I want this to be long-term savings and I don't want to spend it. In addition to how do you save, how do you finance things? How can you deal with your cash flow to get enough to pay for your kid's education? In a lot of places, you do need to pay for a private school for your kids or pay to transport them to where the public school is. How do you save for that? What if you have a health emergency? suddenly your long-term savings is going to just be wiped out paying for the health emergency. And this is daily life for one-third of the Earth's population. So to, to finally answer your question, like what does it mean to expand financial access? Really, it's not about just getting a savings account and being able to save money. It's about access and agency and choice. It's about enabling those things that are difficult without that access, agency, and choice. Bringing financial access brings you access to education, access to better healthcare, to savings, to home ownership. It provides the basic tools to help you bootstrap yourself, your family, and your community out of poverty. And in my opinion, this is the type of access that can enable hope and can turn that hope into opportunity. When we say microloan, that can mean a lot of different things to different people, but sometimes we're talking as small as 25 US dollars. Yeah. Microlending is basically doing smaller, shorter term lending, typically in the informal sector where there's the lack of banks and other financial institutions to provide these services. Kiva is one place where you can come, and we have a website, kiva.org, where people like you and me can come, find a loan for as little as $25, and a bunch of people will find that loan, and a bunch of people will put $25 together, and maybe the loan is $400, maybe it's $2,000. That loan, we then go and work with local field partners in 90 countries around the world to deliver the funds to them. From, so you know, we'll wire them from the US to them. Then they have the relationship with the customer. They fill that loan to the customer. Over time, the customer, you know, whether it's over six months or 24 months, the customer makes their monthly repayments to that local institution. That local institution repays us and we put it back into your account. And then that $25, you can choose to relend that. So it's really a leverage form. And, you know, I have chunks of $25 that have been recycled 10 times on Kiva, having $250 of impact. And so really what it comes down to is there's this need for these shorter term loans it's really flowing the capital from us where we have it to where it is most in need and servicing those individuals. 
Yeah, that's so powerful to be able to see and understand how the money is making an actual impact, but it's not a donation. It is truly a loan. And so to get that money back and to be able to continually reinvest it to cause change is really, really cool. Do you have any examples? Yeah, I have a great example I like to use. I'll I'll anonymize it, but there's a woman who had been a Kiva borrower for 10 years. And she started by, she was leasing a cow and then she was selling the milk. And she got a loan through one of Kiva's local microfinance partners and she was able to buy a cow. And then over time, she was able to repay the loan and take out another loan and buy multiple cows. And over time, she was able to take those multiple cows and end up buying a plot of land and build a small hardware business on that plot of land. And so you can see this micro lending of being able to do multiple loans over time. And this is all because of Kiva's field partners and Kiva's lenders. You know, I look at Kiva as we sit in the middle and try to facilitate this. But the most important are the individual borrowers, our field partners who are servicing them on the ground, and, and the lenders who actually you know, give the $25 at a time to lend these loans. What are some of the other ripple effects of a microloan on a community level? I mean, so if you think about the community level, there's a couple things that you'll then see. This woman can be an example, not just to her family and her kids, but her community. The community seeing, oh my gosh, look at what she was able to do with her life and her family's life. And others who wouldn't have considered starting their own small business or trying to, to reach for that opportunity suddenly they see the opportunity realized and there will be more demand for this, which is great. And then on the other side, I have a a separate example. Maybe I'll quickly tell you, Kiva has done a lot of lending in Cambodia and there's populations that live on the border and the local microfinance institutions didn't want to lend to those populations to buy water filters because they were worried, well, they're going to get my money, they're going to buy the water filter and they're going to step across the border where I have no recourse. Kiva is able to come in and say, look, we'll assume the risk of loss on these loans. Our lenders will assume the risk of loss. So you can't lose. Like we'll forgive the loans if they don't repay them, go lend to them. They went and lent to these individuals in these communities. They did not jump the border, obviously. They made perfect repayment history. And suddenly now they don't need Kiva to instigate them to go to lend to border populations, to these refugees and displaced populations. They will go lend to them without Kiva. And so whether you're talking about this woman in Kenya or talking about these border populations, If we can help be the tip of the spear to drive activity in that sector with local institutions, and they can see how it works and understand there's not as much risk, they're much more likely to go there. And then they're going to go there and stay there. And that's great. We start to see penetration deeper into those that are unbanked. How is the cloud really fitting into what Kiva is doing? And so in a lot of these places, what you see is they go from a rural village to the community finances and get solar panels. The first thing they drop on after they get some clean water with their electricity and some lights is a 3G or a 4G tower. And then they get a community tablet and people start getting phones. And this comes onto the cloud because there's not as much need to think about having a local co-located server that you control. When you're talking about people connecting from their phones, it's not about copper wire. It's not about the physical location of the server. And so suddenly... Cloud becomes an option in developing countries, and it's a really, really good option because the places where they would locate servers are tend to be physically insecure. They tend to have problems like flooding, and that's a risk for not just the server itself physically flooding, but loss of power, which then knocks out connectivity to the server. And so as you're watching consumers digitize, you're also watching the financial sector in developing countries and governments digitize, and this is all driving towards the cloud. Matthew, you and Kiva are part of the AWS Imagine Grant program, and that's something that we haven't yet talked about here on the podcast, but I'm hoping you can tell us a little bit about what that was like and what your project is. So for our Imagine Grant, it's for something called Kiva Protocol. 
The work in Sierra Leone with Kiva Protocol really started kind of where my story of the woman in Kenya left off. Her story actually continues, where she had this plot of land and had built a small hardware store. She has 10 years of perfect repayment history of all these loans, of over $15,000 of loans over 10 years in the informal sector. And she can bring printouts and Kiva will happily vouch like, yes, she took out these loans. Perfect repayment history, always on time. She went to the bank because she wanted to build a multi-generational house, her, her kids, her parents, and some extended family. She goes to the bank. She knows the bank officer at the bank. And he looks at her and says, I'm sorry, like I have to treat you as a zero credit customer. I can't use any of this data from the informal sector. She's effectively blocked, despite the fact she has perfect repayment history. She's looking for a $15,000 loan. This is where Kiva Protocol takes off. We looked and said, well, that is a systemic problem, that there's no on-ramp into the formal financial sector. What we did with Kiva Protocol is built technology that we can then take to the informal sector to help them collect credit history and transaction history and do the identity verifications, connect that with the same processes that are used by formal financial institutions, and provide the regulatory frameworks and the regulatory oversight that governments need to do the very necessary oversight of know your customer verification and anti-money laundering and countering the finance of terrorism. And so it's an open source technology platform we built, and that allows any individual in Sierra Leone with just a thumbprint and their national ID number to be able to go in and it takes 11 seconds to open a bank account to perform the identity check. And that I didn't check before, it used to take two weeks. And I think this will be very powerful. Like, you know, there's the immediate thing of solving that, the people who get right to the entry point of the financial sector and providing them the on-ramp. And then there'll be the longer term of, pushing financial access further and further down. And I hope to see a day someday where that story of a village gets power, they get internet connectivity, they get a phone. I would like them to be able to open a bank account right after they get that phone, make that the fourth step. The cloud power solutions that can improve financial access and inclusion at the individual and community level, ultimately building a more just and fair world for everyone. A big thank you to our guest, Ashish and Matthew. To learn more, check out the new AWS ebook, Serving a Digital First India, Technology for Progress and Inclusion. Learn more at aws.amazon.com slash blogs slash public sector. And thank you for tuning in. If you like today's show, please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and share. We'll be here on the next one.